Good evening. The battle for an infrastructure bill comes down to the wire. Can Democratic progressives and moderates come to an agreement? The president says yes. An environmental lawyer is hit with a six-month jail sentence and protests against drones in Nevada. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, October 1st, 2021. And making his case on Congress's home ground, President Joe Biden pledged today at the Capitol to get it done as Democrats strain to rescue a scaled back version of his $3.5 trillion government overhaul plan as the measure collides with a a related infrastructure bill. It doesn't matter whether it's in six minutes, six days or six weeks. We're going to get it done. Biden huddled with House Democrats in a private meeting that discussed a compromise bill of one point nine to two point three trillion dollars. That's according to reports. Action has ground to a halt in Congress, despite Speaker Nancy Pelosi's insistence there would be a vote today on a one trillion dollar infrastructure bill that is popular, but has become snared in the debate. Democratic caucus chair Hakeem Jeffries of New York updated reporters on negotiations this afternoon. Uh, if we bring a bill to the floor, that bill is going to pass. We're waiting uh, for some more clarity from the Senate in terms of an ironclad agreement as it relates to doing the types of things that we all believe are necessary that are contained in the Build Back Better Act, which involve dealing with the climate crisis with the fierce urgency of now. Greening our economy, making it more sustainable and resilient, investing in child care, making sure that we lower the high cost of life-saving prescription drugs, investing in dealing with the affordable housing crisis, making sure we extend out the child tax credit, which has decisively cut poverty in America. These are all incredibly important things to the American people. And we have to have some clarity, of course, from the Senate that we're on a path that is firm to get those things done. Hopefully, we'll get that clarity in the next hour or so. Democratic Caucus Chair Hakeem Jeffries, holdout Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, had sunk hopes for a swift compromise when he refused to budge on his demands for a smaller overall package around $1.5 trillion. That's too meager for progressive lawmakers who are refusing to vote on the public works measure without a commitment to the bigger bill. And in Manhattan federal court, Stephen Danziger, the human rights attorney who fought and won a $9.5 billion judgment in Ecuador against Chevron Corporation, was sentenced today in Manhattan following his conviction of criminal contempt of court. WBAI's Rebecca Miles has the story. It's my intention to impose a sentence of six months imprisonment, Judge Loretta Presker told human rights attorney Stephen Donziger in federal court in Manhattan on Friday. The sentencing comes after Judge Preska found Donziger guilty of six counts of criminal contempt after a trial in July. She criticised him for, quote, an astonishing lack of respect for the law in defying court orders. Those included delays in handing over his passport, lateness in handing over details on all his devices and his refusal to hand over his computer and cell phone following a racketeering suit filed against him by oil giant Chevron Corporation. Donziger's lawyer, Ron Kuby, described the racketeering suit as federal judge Kaplan's deciding to bring his own charges and act as prosecutor and just in case remain an unrecused judge in the case. 
Stephen Donziger told the court he believed the legal proceedings were all in retaliation for helping indigenous peoples to save their culture and their lives after massive oil pollution by Chevron Corporation. He told the court, I can't express remorse for actions that I maintain are legal. He told the court he'd already been punished quite severely for a Class B misdemeanor, the lowest level of offence in the federal system. Quote, I have no criminal record. I have spent 787 days wearing an ankle bracelet. I've been disbarred. I can't earn an income. I can't travel. I want you to know I respect the rule of law. I've tr tried to adhere to the rule of law. But Judd Presco was having none of it, threatening him with a two-by-four between the eyes for his refusal as a Harvard-trained lawyer to follow court orders and said, quote, it's what separates us from trial by combat. Mr. Donziger has spent the last seven years thumbing his nose at the U.S. judicial system, Preska said during his sentencing hearing. Now it's time to pay the piper. The judge repeated the special prosecutor's testimony that other lawyers had been sentenced to prison for criminal contempt, an attorney sentenced to three months for three times failing to appear in court, another attorney was sentenced to three months for failing to appear for trial, and for making misleading and incomplete statements in court, and that the Court of Appeals affirmed both sentences. Donziger's legal counsel, Ron Kuby, told the court, well, at least he'd won the office pool for guessing six, the six-month sentence. Donziger is denied bail and will remain under pretrial release wearing the electronic tracking anklet and has the right to appeal with 14 days. He was not remanded and his lawyers were set a surrender date. Donziger said he will appeal his conviction. Donziger won a $9.5 billion judgment against Chevron Corporation in 2011 in a case filed in Ecuador on behalf of indigenous people. Chevron has succeeded in preventing Donziger and his clients from collecting the judgment by suing the lawyer for civil racketeering in New York that led to Donziger's disbarment last year. Rebecca Miles, WBAI News, New York. Thanks, Rebecca. And attorney Ron Kuby represents Donziger. The underlying agenda of this case had been to demonize Stephen Donziger. Criminal contempt is very rarely used in the judicial system, almost never used for disobeying a series of orders that are themselves subject to litigation. Criminal contempt against attorneys is even rare. Two lawyers, one got two years probation, the other, Bruce Cutler in the Gotti trial, got 90 days of house arrest. Donziger has already done over two years of house arrest pre-trial. He lost his license to practice law. He was disbarred. He owes Chevron millions upon millions of dollars based on judgments imposed by Judge Kaplan. We all knew this was going to happen. Judge Kaplan has tried on a number of occasions to criminalize Stephen Donziger. As early as 2010, he was suggesting RICO, extortion, fraud. The Justice Department refused to prosecute Donziger. Why so much hatred? Stephen Donziger attacked a corporatist agenda and attacked one of the most powerful corporations the universe has ever seen. 
the judge himself pointed out a decade ago how important Chevron is to the economy and how unhappy people would be here in America if their gas was shut off because of the judgment that Donziger won. The judgment was on behalf of who? Stephen originally won a judgment of $9.5 billion against Chevron on behalf of Ecuadorian indigenous people as well as small farmers who had 16 billion gallons, that's billion with a B, gallons of toxic oil waste dumped on their lands and in their waterways. So they're going to this extent to make an example of this attorney because you won a case on behalf of indigenous people against a mega corporation. If you don't, then other people are going to sue. Chevron's business model has always been to outlast and out-litigate, out-buy, cheat, and steal your opposition to send the message that you can spend your entire career on one case, as Stephen Donziger has, and you will never ultimately prevail because we have the legal monkeys, like the flying monkeys in The Wizard of Oz. Has any of this money been paid out, the $9 billion? No. Chevron is not paying, has not paid and there's efforts to enforce the judgment in other countries. The judgment was upheld in Ecuador, and Chevron removed its assets from Ecuador. And the American courts, quite frankly, faced with a giant corporation, which is responsible for much of America's energy consumption, as well as burning the planet down on one hand, and small indigenous brown people in another country on the other, <laughs> you know, gee, I wonder who's going to win that case. Where do things go from here? Stephen has seven days uh, to file emergency papers with the United States Court of Appeals to see if they will keep him out on release pending decision on his final appeal. He's confined to home detention, ankle monitoring bracelet, $800,000 uh, sureties posted, fully posted uh, to guarantee his appearance. And even with all of that, the judge said he is a risk of flight, and the only thing that she will do for us is to give us a week to go to the Court of Appeals. Not quite sure where he's going to go since there's no security classification low enough in the federal prison system to accommodate him. Nobody gets sentenced to six months. Greatest justice system in the world, Paul. Attorney Ron Kuby, who represents Stephen Donziger, who was sentenced to six months in federal prison on charges of criminal contempt of court. And in protest news, north of Las Vegas, a group of about 15 peace activists have been engaged in a socially distanced protest at Creech Air Force Base. The desert base houses a command and control center for unmanned aerial drones and conducts training missions. For the 11th straight year or 12th straight year now, Code Pink and Veterans for Peace held the protest to oppose the remote control killing. In a live stream, Veterans for Peace Executive Director Garrett Rappenhagen described the action as a banner battle. Traffic, block traffic across the highway that passes the base entrance. We're hoping not to uh, spend much time in the uh, Vegas jail today. The goal here is to shut down the base for as long as we can. We figure if we could stop it for even uh, five minutes, we might have saved a life. It's a microcosm of what we want to see on a larger level is bases shut down permanently all over the world to stop militarism. We know that the mission in Afghanistan was a failed mission. We're getting the right, right, right act. 
You've been threatened with uh, pain and discomfort. <laughs> Two-minute warning. We've got a little bit of traffic backed up. Our goal today is not to get arrested because of COVID-19. But we got traffic all the way, as far as the eye can see, pretty much. Robin Hagen is a former U.S. Army war veteran who fought in Iraq as an Army scout and sniper in the 1st Infantry Division from 2004 to 2005. He says drones are a war crime. It really is just this form of terror where the civilian populations that live underneath the drone operations are constantly afraid and oppressed by the drones. They don't know when an indiscriminate missile is going to destroy them and their family, whether they're at a wedding, picking pine nuts or just driving down the road. It's a very inhumane way of really fighting. How is it that you chose this space and what goes on at this space? There's a lot of operators at the base. It takes a big team to ban even one drone. The operators come to work every day here at Creech Air Force Base and surveil and bomb people all around the world. It's called the Home of the Hunters, is its tag name, and they're doing a lot of training here. There's a lot of drones flying in and out of the base all day long, all night long, doing training operations. And this is where many of the drone operators prepare and get ready to do real missions and then actually do real missions from here in Las Vegas. Where is this place, Cheech Air Force Base, where is it located? It's about 45 minutes, I want to say, northwest of Las Vegas proper. There's another large Air Force base called Nellis Air Force Base that has standard aircraft that do training and operations. There's a big bombing area called the Nevada Test and Training Range that's shared where they do actual testing of bombing of targets. It's also close to the Nevada Test Range which is where we tested a lot of our nuclear weapons and atomic bombs. So we camp out at the Sacred Goddess Temple that's in Indian Springs, right down the road from Creech Air Force Base, that allowed us to, to kind of camp on their property and use their property in the heart of all this insanity in the Desert Valley outside of Vegas. Who is there with you? Did anybody get arrested today? No one got arrested today. This year, we're trying to be extremely cautious because of COVID-19. None of us really want to risk going to the Las Vegas jail is where they take you once they arrest you. We're obstructing the gate as much as possible. There's always a risk that we'll be arrested. In fact, yesterday, we did have one of our comrades arrested at the action there. But we try to push the limit as much as we can and block the gate. You know, we have two goals, shut down the base as long as we can. And then many of us, especially in Veterans for Peace, are trying to connect with service members and civilian contractor drone operators that are working each day at the base. Have you spoken with any of them? They're on strict orders not to talk to us, but we have very creative ways of standing outside. We have great signs and other ways that really identify with them. And we have a website called askvets.org that we have QR codes, and, and we're hoping folks are going to that address where there's a letter directly to them, uh, the drone operators from veterans. There's been a release of videos of these drone strikes or leaks. Yeah, they're, they're awful. These missiles that are made by Lockheed are pretty devastating. Certainly, they're going to kill one individual, but they're usually together with other people, and those people are just considered collateral damage. A lot of these drone strikes don't even hit the intended target. They just hit families and children in some cases. So you must be getting through to some folks in there that they're, uh, these videos are being uh, leaked out by people who could get in a lot of trouble for doing that. It takes a lot of courage to even leak videos like that. We appreciate it, and we want to support folks who are taking those kind of risks. So hopefully they reach out to us and connect in the community. But it's very scary to do a thing like that. We respect our whistleblowers and folks that are resisting. We want to support 
folks like Daniel Hale, who is a whistleblower drone operator who now is charged and serving prison time for leaking information just like this. But we also know that Daniel Hale wants to highlight why they're doing it is for the folks who are oppressed every day by drone warfare all across the world. We want to raise up their voices, too. If any folks like that want to be heard, then our veterans want more than anything to support those voices and help give them a platform and protect them if if we can to allow them to do that in some amount of safety. So that's kind of why we're here. Veterans for Peace Executive Director Garrett Rappenhagen. According to an analysis published by the civilian group Air Wars, U.S. drone and airstrikes have killed at least 22,000 civilians and perhaps as many as 48,000 since the 9-11 terrorist attacks in 2001. The U.S. military asserts it's conducted almost 100,000 airstrikes since 2001. And earlier this week, Yahoo News published an investigative report on CIA plots to kill WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Assange is a citizen of Australia, not the United States, but that hasn't stopped U.S. officials from trying to extradite him from London to face trial on espionage espionage charges that could jail the journalist for a century and a half. The article says Trump-era Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who was CIA director at the time, obsessed over Assange and WikiLeaks and sought revenge after the publication of the so-called Vault 7 materials, redefining the media organization as a hostile entity. Reportedly, Pompeo's successor, Gina Haspel, shared his zeal for retaliation. According to the article, Pompeo proposed kidnapping Assange in the summer of 2017. Julian Assange's brothers, Gabriel Shipton, he spoke with WBAI from Australia. Revealed in the Spanish court, these Plots, assassination plots, plots to poison Julian, plots to kidnap Julian by leaving a door open. So we've known about them, but through this article, we've now learned that they were directly connected to the CIA, basically, and this designation that WikiLeaks was a non-state hostile intelligence service rather than a publisher. Non-state hostile intelligence service. What it means that the CIA and the U.S. intelligence can treat the entity like it's an Iranian intelligence service or a Russian intelligence service. So they can have launched these operations without having any approval from the White House or Congress. On their own. They could just take it on their own if they have the target in sight, pull the trigger. Yes, yes, that's right. In the article, they were outlining of how one of the WikiLeaks employees' house was broken into in Germany, followed, intimidated, having their computers stolen. So all of these activities were underway. People like Laura Poitras and others who were involved in the original release of the WikiLeaks and the original defense of Julian were targeted. There's information about this classification of journalists. So they, they wanted to change, they wanted to create this new sort of classification of journalists like a information broker that they could pursue these people because obviously journalists were protected under the first amendment so they wanted to sort of push forward this new framing so that they could go after people like glenn greenwald laura poitras julian assange and really any other journalists who challenge the power structure what about julian right now i mean what does he face what's happening at this stage in his case we call it punishment by process really he's been in jail for this this is his third year in a maximum security jail and his second year as an innocent man he hasn't been convicted of anything so he's a remand prisoner he's just been held there he won his case in january the extradition was rejected the u.s doj immediately appealed in extradition rejection and now it's taken 
10 months to get to the High Court appeal hearing. So that whole time, Julian's been in this maximum security prison served for the most violent prisoners in all of the UK. How's he doing? Every day that Julian spends in prison is it's one day too many. Just a couple of weeks ago, a prisoner in that prison, a remand prisoner, was found dead in his cell. A year ago, one of Julian's good friends, also a remand prisoner, was found dead. So as a family, this is what we have to deal with, and we worry about Julian. Uh, he's strong, he's resilient, but his situation is very, very precarious. If he gets out, does he go right back to it, do you think? He's going to need some time to recuperate, time to spend with his young family. That's probably his front of mind at the moment. He's got two young children, my nephews, three and five. Spent some time with his kids who he hasn't been able to see for the last three years. Julian Assange's brother, Gabriel Shipton. And Merck and company said today that its experimental COVID-19 pill, Malnupiravir, Malnupiravir, I'll try it, reduced hospitalizations and deaths by half in people recently infected with the coronavirus and that it would soon ask health officials in the United States and around the world to authorize its use. If cleared, Merck's drug would be the first pill shown to treat COVID-19, a potentially major advance in efforts to fight the pandemic. All COVID-19 therapies now authorized in the U.S. require an IV or injection. Biden COVID advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci and White House COVID coordinator Jeff Zients say the news is welcome but doesn't detract from the need for vaccinations. The news of the efficacy of this particular antiviral is obviously very good news. The company, when they briefed us last night, had mentioned that they will be submitting their data to the FDA imminently. The data are impressive. There was a 50% diminution of importance is that in the placebo group, there were eight deaths and in the treatment group, there were no deaths. That's also very important and very good news. The FDA will look at the data as quickly as they possibly can, and then it will be taken from there. Once a recommendation is made, then we go through the same process of getting the recommendation for its usage through the CDC. The federal government has contracted to purchase 1.7 million doses to make this therapy available. The government also has an option for some additional doses. If approved, I think the right way to think about this is this is uh, a potential additional tool in our toolbox to protect people from the worst outcomes of COVID. But I think it's really important to remember that vaccination, as we've talked about today, remains far and away our best tool against COVID-19. COVID advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci and White House COVID coordinator Jeff Seens, an independent group of medical experts monitoring the trial, recommended stopping it early because the interim results were so strong. Company executives said they are in discussions with the Food and Drug Administration and plan to submit the data for review in coming days. Several other companies, including Pfizer, including Pfizer and Roche, are studying similar drugs that could report results in the coming weeks and months. And finally, in education news, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor has denied a request for an injunction against the Department of Education's vaccine mandate. The DOE has said teachers who did not receive the first dose of the vaccine by 5 p.m. today would not be allowed to enter school buildings on Monday. According to the DOE, 90 percent of its employees are vaccinated. (music) 
And that's on the news for Friday, October 1st, 2021. The news producer, Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.